Chapter 26 of Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tommy Hersant, Carlsbad, California. Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 26. Conclusion. In the course of an hour, Humpy was provided with a new suit which considerably improved his appearance. Rufus accompanied him to the Erie Railway Station, where he purchased for him a through ticket to Chicago, and saw him enter the cars. "'Good-bye, William, and good luck,' said Rufus. "'Good-bye,' said Humpy. "'You're a trump. You're the first friend I ever had.' "'I hope I shan't be the last.' said Rufus. Uh, shall I give your love to Smith if I see him? <laughs> oh, never mind about that. Rufus was compelled to leave the station before the cars started, in order to hurry back to the office. Arrived there, a new errand awaited him. Oh, Rufus, said Mr. Turner, oh, do you remember where Mr. Vanderpool lives? Oh, the owner of the tin box? Yes, sir. "'You may go up at once and let him know that his property is recovered.' This task Rufus undertook with alacrity. He had been pleased with what he saw of Mr. Vanderpool on his first visit, and was glad to be able to tell him that the box, of whose loss he felt partly to blame, was recovered. He was soon ringing the bell of the house at 27th Street. Mr. Vanderpool was at home, the servant told him, and he was ushered immediately into his presence. The old gentleman, who had been writing, laid aside his pen, and, looking up, recognized Rufus. "'You're the boy that came to tell me about my property being stolen, are you not?' he asked. Uh, "'Yes, sir, but it's found.' "'Oh, bless my soul! You don't say so! Did the thief give it up?' "'No,' said Rufus. I took it from him. Is it possible? Why, you're only a boy, said Mr. Vanderpool, regarding him with interest. Boys can do something as well as men, said Rufus, with pardonable pride. Tell me all about it. Rufus told his story as briefly as possible. When he described how he had been entrapped and imprisoned, Mr. Vanderpool said, Bless my soul! several times. "'You're a brave boy,' he said, when the story was finished. Oh, "'Thank you, sir,' said Rufus, modestly. "'Were you not afraid when you were locked up by those bad men?' "'Oh, not at all, sir. I should have been. I don't think I am very brave.' "'You've behaved very well indeed, Master. I don't remember your name.' Rufus Rushton, uh, Master Rushton, hm. I must make you a present. I have only done my duty, Mr. Vanderpool. I don't want any present for that. Uh, we'll talk about that afterwards. Uh, by the way, have you thought anything more about the question whether the planets are inhabited? I can't say I have, sir. I've had so much else to think about. Oh, very true, very true. I've written a few pages more, which I will read to you if you have time. I should like very much to hear them, sir, but I'm afraid I must hurry back to the office. Ah, I am sorry for that, 
said the old gentleman, in a tone of disappointment. But he brightened up immediately. "'I'll tell you what, my young friend,' he said. "'You shall come and dine with me next Saturday at six, "'and then we'll have the evening to ourselves. "'What do you say?' "'I shall be very happy to come, sir,' said Rufus, "'not quite sure whether he would be happy or not.' "'When Saturday came, he presented himself, "'and was very cordially received by the old gentleman.' The dinner was a capital one, and served in excellent style. Mr. Vanderpool paid Rufus as much attention as if he were a guest of distinction, read him his essay on the planets, and showed him some choice engravings. The evening passed very agreeably, and Rufus was urged to come again. He did so and so won the favor of the old gentleman that at the end of two months he was invited to come and make his home permanently in the house in twenty-seventh street thank you mr vanderpool said our hero you are very kind but i shouldn't like to leave miss manning and my little sister have you a little sister tell me about her uh, her name is rose and she is a dear little girl said rufus warmly how old is she uh, eight years old i am glad she is not a young lady uh, you can bring her too i've got plenty of room uh, who is miss manning uh, she is a friend of mine and teaches my sister why can't she come and look after my servants i have no housekeeper "'I will mention it to her,' said Rufus. Rufus did mention it to Miss Manning, who, by appointment, called upon the old gentleman. Mr. Vanderpool repeated the invitation, and offered her ten dollars per week for her services. Such an offer was not to be rejected.' Miss Manning resigned her situation as governess to Mrs. Coleman's children, greatly to that lady's disappointment, and removed with Rose to the house of Mr. Vanderpool. Elegant chambers were assigned to all three, and they found themselves living in fashionable style. As neither had any board to pay, Rufus felt justified in dressing both Rosie and himself in a manner more befitting the style in which they now lived, while Miss Manning also, finding that she was expected to preside at the table, felt called upon to follow their example. It was such a change for all three that it seemed like a dream sometimes when they recalled the miserable attic in Leonard Street and the humble lodging near the North River. Rose was sent to school and had a music teacher at home. Miss Manning also, having considerable time at her disposal, took lessons in music and French and soon acquired very respectable proficiency in both. The old gentleman, so long accustomed to solitude, seemed to renew his youth in the cheerful company he had gathered around him, and came to look upon Rufus and Rose as his own children. He was continually loading them with gifts, and his kindness won their gratitude and affection. 
He tried to induce Rufus to give up his situation with the banker, but our hero was of an independent turn and had too active a temperament to be content with doing nothing. On the succeeding Christmas he received from Mr. Vanderpool a very costly gold watch, which, I need not say, was very acceptable. About six months after her entrance into the house, Miss Manning was profoundly astonished by receiving from the old gentleman an offer of marriage. "'I don't ask for romantic love, my dear Miss Manning,' said Mr. Vanderpool, "'but I hope you will not find it hard to like me a little, and I'll try to make you happy. I don't want to hurry you. It'll take a week to think of it.' Miss Manning did take a week to think of it. She was not in love with Mr. Vanderpool. That was hardly to be expected, as he was thirty years older than she. But she did respect and esteem him, and she knew that he would be kind to her. So she said yes, after consulting with Rufus, and one morning, without any fuss or ostentation, she was quietly married, and transformed from plain Miss Manning into the rich Mrs. Vanderpool. I may say here that neither she nor her husband has seen cause to repent the match, so unexpectedly brought about, but live in harmony and mutual friendship, as I hope they may continue to do to the end of their days." When Rufus reached the age of twenty-one, he was agreeably surprised by an offer from Mr. Turner to take him into partnership. "'But, Mr. Turner,' he said, "'I have very little capital, far too little, for a partner in such a large business.' "'You have fifty thousand dollars. Oh, that will answer very well.' "'I don't understand you, sir,' said Rufus, suspecting that Mr. Turner was crazy or was dreaming. "'You remember the tin box which you recovered five years ago?' Oh, "'Yes, sir.' "'Mr. Vanderpool has made it over with its contents to you, as a free gift. Its value, as you remember, is fifty thousand dollars.' or rather more now, some of the stocks having risen in value. Rufus was quite affected by this munificent gift, and no longer objected to the plan proposed. Shortly after, the style of the firm was changed, and now, as you pass through Wall Street, if you will closely examine the signs on either side of the street, your eyes may light upon this one, Turner and Rushton bankers. You will have no trouble in conjecturing that the junior partner in this firm is the same who was first known to you as rough and ready. If you think that our young friend, the newsboy, has had rare luck, I hope you'll also admit that, by his honesty, industry, and generous protection of his little sister, he has deserved the prosperity he has attained. George Black has long since bought out his partner's interest in the periodical store, and now carries on quite a flourishing trade in his own name. Smith and Martin are still in prison. 
their term of confinement not yet having expired. What adventures yet remain in store for James Martin, I am unable to say, but I doubt if he will ever turn over a new leaf. His habits of indolence and intemperance are too confirmed to give much hope of amendment. The fortunes of Rough and Ready, so far as this record is concerned, are now ended, and with them is completed the sixth and concluding volume of the Ragged Dick series. But the flattering interest which his young friends have taken in these pictures of street life leads the author to announce the initial volume of a new series of stories of similar character which will soon be published under the name of Tattered Tom, or the adventures of a street Arab. End of chapter 26. End of Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready, by Horatio Alger, Jr.